All right, here's what we're doing this morning. We are in a verse-by-verse study in the Gospel of Matthew, and that has taken us to this scene of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he is communicating to us how to pray. So we're just, we introduced that subject last week. We're going to go through the prayer, this outline that Jesus gives to us very slowly. But to set the tone this morning, one, this is uh, the youth leading worship this morning. Like, I tell you guys all the time that I don't sit in connection and tell the worship teams what songs to sing and when. Uh, but that Jesus is our king, we're going to have a video in just a minute, and it's all defining Jesus. What does that mean that Jesus is our king, that he is our amazing king? So that's going to set the tone this morning. But what we're going to be talking about is this introduction to the prayer, is Jesus tells us to address our Father, who is God. So this is the subject matter that we're going to sit in this morning. This is Proverbs chapter 1 says that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. And there's, these are the purpose of this, these Proverbs that are listed out. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. Those are all the purpose of these proverbs. One seven is the verse that we're getting to. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The idea of the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of God. My entire goal this morning is that you sit in the next hour and as you walk out of this place in absolute awe of who your personal creator is, your relationship with him, and that you would be in awe of him all the days of your life. Chapter 9 of Proverbs, verse 10, picks up on this same idea that the fear, the awe, the reverence of the Lord, it's not just the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years of your life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. But this whole idea of the knowledge of the holy, um, I've recommended this book multiple times. I have two extra, so you guys can arm wrestle and whatever you want to do and fight over the two that are available on the table. You get this for le less than 10 bucks on uh, Amazon. But this walks through a bunch of the attributes of God in very small, short chapters that force you to think about who your creator is. Christianity is a thinking religion. We are not here to just receive, but we're here to ponder, to meditate, to think, to consider. And all of the, the subject matter is our, on our awesome God. Amen? All right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think. Put away your notes. Put away phones. I want you to listen to this message. This is a snippet of a sermon from 1970. This video of this came out probably like 15 years ago that says, that's my king. The original video was like three minutes long. This one's seven minutes long because it's getting this entire context. 
So somebody's put it to visual illustrations to help out. But the words of what this man is saying are on the screen. But I want you to read. I want you to think. I want you to meditate. Consider. Don't get lost. Try and absorb the whole thing. You ready? All right. Here you go. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there's no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's star God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's a head of the heroes. He's a leader of the legislators. He's an overseer of the overcomers. He's a governor of governors. He's a prince of princes. He's a king of kings. And he's a lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah.
is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my Here's the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. All the power belongs to my king. We around here talking about black power, and white power, and green power, but it's God's power. Thine is the power. And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but... The glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Well... That's your king? Do you know him? If that is not your king, you have an idol. Sit in that for a second. I can watch that video all day long because it has so much weight and so much definition behind who our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is. Amen? The thrust here is for you to be in awe of him. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. We only have one verse to cover in Matthew, but we're, or John 17 rather. We're going to read all of John 17. This is a prayer of Jesus, but in this we get this idea of why even to play that video this morning as it's declaring to us who Jesus Christ is in a variety of titles, and we could go on and on and on. But what we're told is that Jesus is God incarnate. 
And when we witness him, when we listen to him, when we see him, when we know him, and when we understand him, he is the one who is revealing the Father to us. And we are told that eternal life, the life that you want to live forever, that last scene where there's that mass stadium of all those who are saved in his presence for all eternity, it's based on those who know the Father and those who know the Son, because therein is eternal life. John 17 says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I have come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, Father, I kept. Uh, those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they, may also, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for, the, for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be you and me. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, 
I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. How about that for a prayer? Somebody's given that the title of the Holy of Holies in the New Testament, which is an awesome declaration. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is really where we are. Last week we began in verse 5. Jesus pretty much giving us the instruction on how we are not to pray, but that we are to go into this secret, intimate space with the Lord, whatever that is for you, and have this two-way conversation. We talked about last week that, again, we are hearing and listening to the Lord through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and then we have words to speak back to the Lord. Jesus gives his gives us the instruction to make sure that our words are not just vain repetitions, that they're not empty words, that they're not just flowery words, that they're not just words that you're uh, just going on and on and on about with no heart, no meaning, no relationship with the Lord. But his instruction ultimately is verse 9, this beginning of this outline, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. And that's all we're covering this morning. So in this, as Jesus is giving us this instruction, this is how you communicate to your creator. Your creator, one, is not to just your personal creator. He has created every man and every woman to be his image bearer. As we sit in this room together, we are gathered in the name of our Father. He is our creator. He's our savior. We're going to go through a lot of definitions of who God is and who the father is. Already sitting in Jesus's words in his prayer that Jesus has declared to us who the father is. When you sit in the gospels repetitiously over and over again, Jesus is unveiling the nature and character and truth of God in opposition to what religion has taught the culture. So we even have to sit in that understanding today. You have learned a lot about God from religion. You have learned a lot about God from your culture. And a lot of that, what we know and what we think about God needs to be broken out of our minds and broken out of our lives so that we would abide in truth. So we're going to give a lot of definition to who our father is this morning. But not just as often as you gather together in conversation with God or in your private closet, our father. Yes, he is your father personally, and you ought to have that relationship. But there's this understanding that you're not in this alone. We're in this together. We're in his life together, and we are to be one together as Jesus prayed. So our father, where is he positionally? We're going to talk in a moment about where God is positionally. Is God somewhere physically? 
Does God even have a physical body? This idea of our father in heaven, it's the idea it's up, it's high, he's exalted. That's his position. It's uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens are where he dwells in all of his glory. We'll give some definition to this in a minute. But again, it's to our God. He's not constrained by this earth and the governments and your own circumstances. Our father, he is, he is in heaven. He is above. He is seated on his throne. He has all authority. So as we come into a conversation with him, there's a lot of weight and definition that needs, needs to be in our mind, our relationship, our words as we engage him. And this is the ideas that we're going to be discussing this morning. But this idea of hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a, you know, it's a King James way of saying holy, separate, sanctified, set apart is the idea of this word. May his name be holy in our mind, in my mind as I'm addressing God in prayer, in our minds together as we are just living our life following him together. May God's name always be holy, distinct, unique, set apart, exalted with all of the awe that is due his name. Got that for background? Now, this is what we're going to press into the rest of the time. And I've got notes for this. I've got five pages of notes. So I don't, you probably don't have enough space to write all of this down. So this is recorded. This is on YouTube. You can go back and listen later. I would encourage you just to really listen and think as we define what, who God is. When we talk about his name being distinct and separate, your name identifies you as an individual. So when we talk about the name of God, it is the identification of him. These are his essence, his character, his attributes. This is who he is. And these are the ideas that we're going to press into this morning, giving definition. Here's the instruction that Jesus has given to us as we communicate with our creator do you know who your creator is? Do you know your king? Like I said, I sit in that video. There's, there's a, I've got 25 years of walking with the Lord. In some ways, I feel like I'm growing and maturing and sanctified and set apart. In other ways, I still feel so ignorant and in awe. And I don't think we're ever going to lose that wonder and amazement at who he is. But here we're going to press into, we're going to define who God is and who he's not. As we go through this list of words, these are ideas that are not mutually exclusive, which means that you can't talk about God's love without talking about his sovereignty. They're not excluded from one another. Every single one of these is dependent upon other definitions. If you remove one of these definitions outside of your definition from God, that means that you are left with an imagination about God according to your own heart, which means that's an idol. So as we sit in how God has revealed himself to be, we have to look at him holistically in our understanding of who he is. All right, here we go. First one is that God is self-existent. What that means is that he has not been caused. 
He has no origin. He has no beginning. He has no ending is the idea of this. He, in his self-existence, he is fully independent. He does not depend upon anything to be. He doesn't need to breathe. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to drink. He doesn't need sun. He doesn't need weather. He doesn't need anything to be. He is self-existent in and of himself, fully independent. That declaration when uh, Moses asks God, you know, uh, God is sending Moses to the Jews. He asks, what God am I to tell him that is sending me? God says, I am that I am. That's a declaration of his self-existence. I am. Enough said. He is the one who has always been. He is not caused. This self-existent one is absolutely radically singular. We believe in the triune God. God has made himself known to us as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. The best definition of the theologians over the millennia is that this is an expression of the Godhead is one, radically one, radically singular, radically alone, yet three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We have nothing in our world that helps us understand that idea and what that means. When I speak about God, I often break into the language of they, when I'm talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Sometimes it feels really weird when I'm only talking about Jesus. And sometimes I feel like I'm leaving the Father out or I'm leaving the Holy Spirit out in some fashion. God is God and he has revealed himself as radically one, yet at the same time triune. If you figure that one out, good luck. He is undivided. He is unique. And sit in this whole idea. He is radically alone. Any of you like to be alone? For a little bit, it's all right. But humanity, if you, if you go stick you alone somewhere with no interaction with any other human beings, <clears throat> you will go insane. We need each other. But God, in his oneness, he is radically alone and has always been that way. No cause, self-existent in and of himself, perfectly. Radical thoughts. Next one is that God is spiritual. That means he does not have a physical nature. He is immaterial. He has no material that makes up his essence. All we know is this physical existence that he has given to us and that he has created us in. When we sit in this idea of, of that, what is spirit? that your spirit was dead before you had faith in Jesus Christ and you made your spirit alive. And it's your spirit that ascends and goes to be with him when you die in the flesh. Yet there's a restoration and a reconciliation, a redemption, glorification of that spirit and that body together in all eternity. Oh my, what does that mean? Not a clue. God has no material essence. He's spiritual and spirit. And in that idea... God is simple, and what that means in these theological terms of, it means that he has no body. He is not made up of various parts. You can't say, here's his bones, here's his skin, here's his eyeballs. Side of his creation, 
When we say God is eternal, he is, he was, and he will be. He is outside of it all. He is ever present and ever existing in a single moment. No time. Is your brain melting yet? No beginning and no end. He is not bound by time. He is equally present in all times. God is defined as infinite. That means he has no limit. He is unlimited. There is nothing that can measure him. There is nothing that constrains him. There's no fences. There's no bounds. There's no getting out of himself and beyond himself. He cannot be contained by anything. And this idea of infinite also means God is not in progress. Are you in progress? I hope so. We all are, right? Born as baby, start as a couple of cells. We mutate, we grow, we mature, we're in progress. And all, of, all that we know and understand in, in this human experience, we are in this progression according to time. When we sit in God as infinite, he is not progressing. He is immutable. That means he does not change. He does not mutate. He does not mature. He does not become. We live in a world of constant change. You blink and things change. God, who he is, his name, his character, unchanging. Not becoming something different, not changing, not transforming. Some omni words, he is omniscient. That means he has all knowledge, perfect knowledge of everything. This is, this is fascinating. God is not ignorant of anything. God is never learning. He knows all states of both actual and possible. Sit in that for a second. That which is, that which was, that which will be, and that which could be, and could have been, he knows it all, perfectly omniscient. He is filled with wisdom. Wisdom is that, under, uh, it's our understanding, it's the application of knowledge. He has all understanding. God is never confused. He never judges wrongly. He has perfect insight. He is omnipotent. That means he has all power, power being defined as authority and ability. Nothing constrains him. There is nothing greater than him. And he can do anything that is not contradictory to who he is. So can God do anything? No, there's certain things God can't do because in doing that, he would contradict himself, such as the Bible tells us God cannot lie because God is truth. So God can do anything. He has all power to do anything so long as it does not contradict his nature and his character, which is all of these things that we're describing combined. 
He is omnipresent. He is here. He is close to, and he is next to all. He is everywhere, filling every part and sustaining it, yet he has no spatial dimensions or size. Wrap your mind around that one. When we talk about that God is everywhere, God is not everything. He is present, he is aware, he is there spatially in his creation, outside of his creation, everywhere, all times at the same time, yet he has no size. He is transcendent. That whole idea means that he is above and exalted and beyond all. One of the ideas of transcendence is that he is immense, no doubt. He is imminent, not imminent in the sense of he's, he can come at any time. Yes, that's true, but imminent, this is I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, means that he is pervading and sustaining his entire creation. He is imminent, operating within. God is not independent. God is not absent. He didn't just set his creation in motion and stands outside of it and is just watching. He is fully pervading and sustaining at all times, past, present, and future. He is sustaining his creation. He is incomprehensible. I love that line from the video where the guy's listing all this stuff for five minutes and gee, I wish I could describe him to you. He is indescribable. Incomprehensible. Um, there we go. I'm trying, sorry, I'm trying to understand my sentence and how I typed it. Incomprehensible means us as limited, we cannot comprehend he which is limitless. Incomprehensible comes with this idea that he is mysterious. There are things that are unknown about him that he has made himself known, but even what he has made himself known to be is still mysterious and unsearchable because we are limited and cannot comprehend he which is limitless. God has a will. He is self-determined means that he is the one who defines himself. He defines his life, his will. He is the source of all of our definitions. One of these sentences says, God wills himself necessarily and all things out of himself freely, his purpose. This means that he is acting or not acting according to his own good pleasure. There is nothing that God needs in his will that is not sourced from within himself. He determines himself. He reveals himself. None of us tell him what to do. None of us define him. We just repeat what he says. Now, a lot of those, what we just covered, they hang out in this category that this is who God is in and of himself. 
And the rest of these words that we're going to press into, they're known as ways in which God has made himself known and his character known to us as he interacts with us. First one is that he is faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Does God do? Does God do what he says? My grammar doesn't sound right. God does what he says. Yes. If God says yes, he's going to do it. If God says no, he's not going to do it. If God has made a promise for the present, he's going to do it. If he's made a promise to you for the future, he is going to do it. His character is faithful. He is not a liar. He is not the author of confusion. He has made himself known to you and his promises. What he does is according to what he says, he will keep it. He is good. That means he is perfect. He is not evil or bad. He is excellent and he is benevolent. Ever heard the question, if God is good, then how could fill in the blank? That is answering, that is asking a question that is independent of the logic and revelation of who God is. Any question you ask must be asked in faith and understanding that God is good, always. Never a time when he's not, never a time when his goodness is independent of the rest of his attributes. God is just. That means he is morally equitable. God is fair. God is righteous. The idea of righteous is that he is right. He is the standard. And there is perfect coherence between his will and his actions. We sit in injustice and unrighteousness all the time as we witness events in our own lives, in our culture. We're yearning for equality and justice and righteousness, correct? It's all found in him. At the same time, we are told in his faithfulness, his goodness, his justness, his righteousness, that God has wrath. God's wrath is defined as his revulsion against evil. Why? If God is good and he is not evil, that means he has a revulsion against what he is not. And that revulsion is defined as wrath. It's not the, it's not the definition of wrath that we have in our emotional responses to circumstances, but his wrath is holy. It's right. Again, it's all of his attributes at the same time. It's defined as his displeasure with sin and sinners. It's his reaction in time to sin. God is not indifferent to sin and to evil. He has an opinion about it and his opinion wells up wrath. And again, we're expressing that in time, correct? in regards to a God who is outside of time. God is jealous. Do you know what it means to be jealous? In a a human term, it often comes out with envy. 
that you have a jealousy and envy, a covetousness of somebody else and what they have. That's not the definition for God's jealousy. God's jealousy is his protective zeal. Do you want God to protect you? Zealously? That's this idea that God is jealous. He's given us that our own free determination. Do you want him as yours, yes or no? And if you say yes, then this whole attribute of God, of zealously, jealously protecting you, that is his nature and his character towards you. God is merciful. The idea of mercy is his pity and his compassion towards us miserable sinners. He delays punishment. And the whole idea of forgiveness is wrapped up in his mercy. We are told that he is patient, which is this idea that he is long-suffering. When we talk about time, God is very slow in time, seemingly. He withholds punishment. But at the same time, in God's long suffering and his patience, he is also swift. He is both. Sometimes we think God is delaying. He is never late. From our perspective, he may be slow, but he is outside of time in that perspective. He is always there. But when it comes to our sin, When it comes to the sin of humanity, he demonstrates a tremendous amount of patience in time so that he can demonstrate this other attribute of grace. Grace is defined as self-giving, gift-giving, free merit, benevolence, favor. We are saved by his grace, his attribute of grace through our faith in him. God is defined as kind, relates to this whole idea of loving kindness in the Old Old Testament. This comes with the synonyms that he is tender and he is loyal. God is love, very direct definition in in the Bible that God is love. That doesn't mean that... uh, Love is what God is, but when you sit in his definitions of love, here's the expression of this attribute of his character. Love is his goodwill. There's no fear in that love. It's his self-giving, self-sharing, self-communicating, reciprocal relationship of love that we have with him. In this prayer, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, God is holy, means that he is distinct, he is apart, he is unapproachable, incomprehensible, unattainable. He is pure and incorruptible. When you sit in that definition of him as holy, And we have this knowledge and understanding that through faith in Jesus Christ, he is now approachable and that we can come to him and that we are one with him gives a tremendous amount of weight to what it is that he's done and who it is that he is. God is glorious. Means that he is unique, unique in excellence, 
His glory is the manifestation of his attributes. His glory defines his greatness and his transcendence and his splendor and his majesty. The root for the word of glory means heavy. God is heavy. He is sovereign, which means what? He rules. He is king. He is Lord. He is master. Always has been. Always will be. Is right now in every context that you see in this world. Last one out of this list is God is true. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. He is the singular source and all that he is conforms to who he is in truth. You ready to take a test? I hope that a lot of these definitions are familiar for you, but this is the instruction that we're sitting in. Jesus is breaking the people that he's speaking to of their cultural definitions and religious definitions in regards to who God is. And he tells us that in your righteous act of prayer, here's how it begins. You are addressing this being who created the heavens and the earth, who through faith in Christ, you were told he is defined as your Abba, daddy, intimacy, closeness. Father title for sure and all of his grandeur and all that he is. But there is this invitation into that parent-child intimate relationship. And when you go to God in your speech, this is who you're talking to. You are my father. And when you say that God is in heaven, all of this that we just gave is definition to him. He's eternal. He's outside of space and time. He has no body. He is not a man. He has never sinned. He's fully true. All of this is definition and the one who you're addressing. And when you come to God, what are you coming to him with? Usually there, there's pain. There's suffering, there's tribulation, there's confusion. It may be your life, it might be the life of another, it might be what's going on in the culture. But if you know who God is in truth, all of those difficulties become nothing in comparison to the glory of who he is. Hallowed, holy, distinct, and separate be the name of God in your mind when you communicate to him. Declare it to him. Declare it to yourself. Because if and when, and we all do to different degrees, engage God outside of these definitions, outside of how he has revealed himself to be, that's when the complaining starts. That's when the demanding starts. That's when we start treating God as the genie in the bottle. All of these unhealthy relationship characteristics that can be in us come out of us, out of our mouth and out of our behaviors when we think wrong thoughts about God. This whole uh, knowledge of the holy book by A.W. Tozer, that's the first chapter that uh, he addresses. We must think right thoughts about who he is. And his word is what defines him to us. Now I'm going to run through a list of some other words. Worship team, come on up. 
but I'm going to run through in all of the, I think that there were 34 definitions that I just ran through if I counted them up correctly. I've got a whole list of words of how God engages us in our individual and collective lives together in humanity, in this room, in your own context, who he is in all of his fullness engages us in all of these different ways. You ready? As creator, as former, establisher, founder, author, savior, incarnate, redeemer, forgiver, resurrector, sustainer, upholder, watcher, indweller, counselor, empowerer, convictor, giver, provider, mediator, advocate, intercessor, supplicator, comforter, sealer, guarantor, adopter, sanctifier, light, water, bread, shepherd, feeder, life, head, priest, king, avenger, punisher, Emmanuel, lamb, lion, friend, bridegroom, rock, stone, horn, teacher, guide, the way, fire, healer, warrior, army, defender, banner, deliverer, shelter, shielder, refuge, keeper, potter, restorer, Anointer, caller, connector, keeper, peace, joy, revealer, word, manifold, rewarder, and song. That is our Father. Amen.